everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. You probably know that if you tuned into the podcast. I uh, do appreciate your time very much today. Looking forward to talking a little NFL draft, uh, a tad of Ohio State basketball, and I've got something really interesting to share with you about uh, the value of criticism, and then we'll get into the faith portion of the podcast. Started my morning today with an interesting conversation with my friend Chrissy from AUI Info in Cleveland, and she informed me of some very interesting things that I would like to share with you if you're a business owner. And you can be a business owner if you're in business for yourself. You can be a business owner if you have one other employee, maybe a real estate team, you and another person, or of course, if you run a small business. She says she gets a lot of questions about whether uh, people can if, if AUI, which is a health insurance brokerage, can put you with a chamber of commerce plan or one of these health plans that's purchased through an association, like a medical association or whatever. And the answer is yes. What you may not know, however, is that you can be a member of any chamber plan in Ohio. You could be a part of the Cleveland Chamber of Commerce plan if that's the best plan for you. And here's the thing. You say, well, I don't want to belong to a chamber of commerce that charges me a thousand bucks. You don't have to. You can join any chamber of commerce, find the cheapest one, and then you can have any chamber plan. So I know this is a little, you know, minutia for people. You're just individuals or whatever. And by the way, you can change your insurance anytime now with open enrollment going on at infinitum through auinfo.com. But this gives you an idea if you're a business owner, how they can save you money. For instance, you're belonging to a chamber that charges you a grand to be a member of it to get their plan. Well, what that chamber is not going to tell you is that, hey, um, you can get any chamber plan, <laughs> not just ours. You don't have to, if you live in Columbus, Central Ohio, you don't have to have the Central Ohio Chamber of Commerce plan. So let AUI investigate that for you because it's free and you get a bunch of HR benefits too. So I'm excited about AUI and all they do for business owners because I know your margins are thin and... Uh, auiinfo.com is where you go. Ask them on chat. Take care of it. Okay. NFL draft tomorrow, first round at night. I love the NFL draft at night. I think it's great. Uh, I used to expend my entire Saturday. I almost said waste, but expend my entire Saturday uh, watching the draft. And it's fun to get the first round on Thursday night. So we get a chance to talk about that all day Friday. Think about that. Focus on that. Then I like rounds two and three Friday which that's also a juicy piece of the puzzle. I like how fast that moves, five minutes for every pick. And then we get the rest of the draft on Saturday. And those guys get their moment in the sun, and that's fun too. So the big unknown is where Justin Fields will go. I've seen everything on Justin Fields. I mean, what I have said before on this podcast is I find it amusing that people are taking the bait on this narrative that Justin Fields is falling. Well, by Friday, by Thursday night at about, what, 9.30, we'll know if he fell or not. If he goes three to the Niners, he didn't fall. If he goes four five, in my opinion, he didn't fall. That's just a choice of we like one quarterback over him better. If he goes one, everybody's going to look really stupid because, you know, they've said he's going to fall. So... The Justin Fields thing, there's narratives out there about why this and that. The racial narrative is so dumb. The high, the four highest paid players in the NFL are, are black quarterbacks. Okay? So, um, it's just so dumb. So lazy. So meant to mesh with 
whatever, people's preconceived notions. Okay, so that's dumb. But here's what nobody's talking about leading up to this draft, and this is an Ohio State thing, right? Sean Wade is off the radar as a first-round pick. How much money did Sean Wade cost himself by coming back to college and trying to win a national title, playing an additional season for the Buckeyes? If Sean Wade's final play as a Buckeye had been the play, the targeting play on which he was ejected from in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson, I believe he would have been a first-round pick. He's not going to be a first-round pick. He may not be a second- or third-round pick. He may not. He may. He should, I think, be one. But he's looked upon in the NFL now as strictly a slot corner. He was not impressive on film last year. I know he made I know he was the Big Ten's cornerback of the year. That was a joke. He wasn't the best corner in the Big Ten last year. He struggled outside. A lot of guys struggle. It's a hard position. So this is why I always say if you're a first rounder, you got to get out. Get out and go, brother. And I, you know, I don't expect that same drop uh for Chris Olave. But if Chris Olave obviously gets hurt, then he, you know, then it's a problem. So when they're ready to take you one, you go. Whether you think you're ready or not, what you think doesn't matter. It's what they think that matters because they're the ones paying the bills. They're the ones drafting. And then, of course, in the national title game, Devontae Smith uh, made everybody look bad, not just Sean Wade, but he made everybody look bad. So that's what I say is go when they're ready to take you. You know, you can only go to a dance when you're asked. And when you're asked and you turn it down, then you might be sitting out the next dance. So uh, that's unfortunate for Sean Wade uh, because, you know, the season was disjointed and weird and didn't help him. But that's, uh, that's what happens when you bet on yourself sometimes. Sometimes you bet on yourself and it comes out great. Like Joe Flacco bet on himself, came out great. Other guys bet Joe Burrow bet on himself, came out great. So there are times it works and times it didn't, and unfortunately for Sean Wade, this is one of those times that it did not. Uh, you will not be sorry if you bet on Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee. You'll love it. It's awesome. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. You see the sign uh, on the podcast uh, when we broadcast on Facebook and Periscope. You know the name. Spiels loves the coffee. He's a discerning coffee buyer. They do great work around the world, buying their coffee direct from growers in Nicaragua, Ethiopia, Thailand, and uh, Indonesia, and other places, too. They're always looking for new coffee growers, always bringing you the best coffee. Their latest flavor is bourbon barrel aged coffee. It's tremendous. Use the promo code Bruce. No, excuse me. Wrong. Use the promo code We Tackle Life. We Tackle Life to get 15% off at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Tell them you want to spend 50 bucks and send a nice corporate gift or wedding gift to somebody. They'll hook you up big time with that. So HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Okay. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to talk to Chris Holtman, me and probably 40 of my best friends in the media. I don't know if I have 40 best friends in the media anymore, <laughs> but, uh, it'll be interesting to get coach Holtman's take on the vibe he's getting from EJ Liddell, the vibe he's getting from Dwayne Washington. I'll say this. I'll be surprised if EJ Liddell leaves. I'll be surprised if Dwayne Washington comes back. I say that because, I think Dwayne Washington has it in his head that he wants to play basketball all the time, has it in his head that he's an NBA player, has it in his head that the best way to be an NBA player is to play full-time basketball. And I know that he has told people that he's not going unless he's going to get picked in the draft. He's not going to get picked in the draft. 
And yet, I believe he will go. I believe the money, Europe, G League, whatever. He grew up around Derek Fisher. He grew up around the league. He grew up around the life. Hard for him to come back. He should come back. I don't think he will. EJ Liddell, um, he's making a mistake if he goes. Agents are telling him don't come back. You'll play the five. That's stupid. He's not going to play the five. Zed Key's going to be better. Joey Brunk's going to play the five. Kyle Young's back. There's no reason why EJ Liddell's going to play the five. But that's what agents are telling him because they want to get in his pocket. His pocket's going to be pretty empty if he doesn't get drafted. So, EJ, you need to come back. But it'll be interesting to get Holtman's take on how Jamari Wheeler and Joey Brunk fill out the roster, uh, why Joey Brunk instead of John Harar, um, other stuff with Chris Holtman. There was recently a story done by ESPN that, uh, here's horn tooting time, I did two years ago. No, end of last, end of the season before last. So the right before the pandemic, I did a story on all the hires, the coaching hires in Division One. at the same time Ohio State hired Chris Holtman. Brad Underwood, Illinois, Archie Miller, Indiana, la, 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 la. Who was the best hire? At that point in time, Holtman was one of only two coaches who had gotten his team in the NCAA tournament all three of his seasons. I projected ahead that Ohio State was going to be in the tournament that year. They obviously were. The only other coach who did that was at New Mexico State. That guy was at BG, and he got let go for off-court stuff. So Holtman, and Holtman was the only one who had won a game in the NCAA tournament each of his first two years. So he was the best hire nearing the end of his third season. ESPN just updated that concept of a story. And he is, according to ESPN, the best hire in his four seasons. He did not get an A minus. He got a B plus. He got a B plus because they lost to Oral Roberts. If he got him the Sweet 16, he would have gotten an A or an A minus. Holtman's done a good job. Try to let go of the Oral Roberts loss. It's hard to let go of, but we still have a good coach. He is hungry to win at Ohio State. If he weren't, I believe he could have had another job this offseason. I believe he can get a job anywhere he wants, pretty much anywhere he wants to get one. Uh, if he wants to get it. I think if he wanted to be the coach at Indiana, he could be the coach at Indiana. So um, this year, instead of Mike Woodson. So uh, that's what I'll say about Chris Holtman. Back to the NFL draft for a second. Uh, the Browns pick you know, deeper in the draft because they were a playoff team last year. Supposedly they're picking a linebacker. Supposedly they're picking an edge rusher. Pick the best player on the board. If Jalen Waddle falls to you, if... Uh, you know, he. I don't think he will, but if Devontae Smith falls to you, phew, take the best player off the board at that particular time. You know, when you're a playoff team, free agency and your own player development should fill the things you need to get better at. Don't pick positionally when you're picking, you know, past the midpoint of the first round. So the Browns should pick the best player on their board at that particular time, no matter who he is. What if it's Justin Fields, Bruce? I saw a mock draft yesterday from Chris Sims who had Justin Fields going 32nd in the first round to the New England Patriots. Yes, if Justin Field is on the board when the Browns pick, pick Justin Fields. Yes. Did the Red were the Redskins glad they picked Kirk Cousins? Were the Patriots glad they picked Jimmy Garoppolo? Yes. Pick the best player. And if it's Justin Fields, 
you know, then maybe you don't have to pay Baker Mayfield so much, and maybe you'll eventually have a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. You'll certainly have an asset you can flip when you want to flip him. So, yes, if Justin Fields is there, pick him. Uh, as for the Bengals at five, okay, Bengals are in a really good spot. I mean a really good spot. Okay, I think it goes Jags, Jets, presumed quarterback. Three is Niners because they traded up, got the Dolphins pick. Four is Atlanta. Atlanta, interesting. What if they pick Justin Fields? Georgia kid, Matt Ryan, getting old, bring Justin Fields along slowly. Usually a bad team, you don't want to pick a developmental quarterback, although you got to get quarterback right or you don't have any chance. Falcons four, Bengals five. Okay, the Bengals clearly don't need a quarterback. The Bengals clearly need a lot. Bengals need to protect their quarterback. Bengals need to augment their quarterback's talents. So they're going to have options at five. Panay Sewell, offensive tackle Oregon, sat out last year. Jamar Chase, wide receiver LSU, sat out last year. Kyle Pitts, Florida tight end, played his tail off last year. Obviously, Devontae Smith will be there. Obviously, Jalen Waddle will be there. Okay, Bengals at five. If there is a quarterback left from Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, uh, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields, there's going to be a quarterback left at five, okay? So, Bengals, if you, you must trade that pick is what I'm saying. You must. Now, you must trade it not so far down that you can't get a really good wideout or a really good offensive tackle. But you must trade that pick at five to get another good player, a second rounder, a third rounder, an additional first rounder, you must trade that pick to maximize the value of that pick. There is no reason, none, zero, zip, not a zilch reason to pick Jamar Chase number five. I know he looked great with Joe Burrow. It's not like he's the only wideout in the draft who can catch balls Joe Burrow throws. <laughs> okay? Waddle, Devontae Smith. Either one of those guys would help the Bengals immeasurably. Panay Sewell, trade down a spot, trade down two spots, whatever. So, you know, Bengals better be doing a ton of mock drafts and better be on point with what they're doing on draft night because they're going to have offers for that pick. Somebody's going to want that pick to pick the quarterback or one of the two quarterbacks that are left on the board if there is a surprise pick. I did see like some buzz that, oh, Urban Meyer's thinking about taking Justin Fields. Okay, well, look, that's bold if you do it. Understand me, I'm not snarking Justin Fields here. But if Urban Meyer picks Justin Fields, Urban Meyer is taking an unnecessary risk for his first season in Jacksonville because no one will ever criticize Urban Meyer for taking Trevor Lawrence number one. Is that a reason to take him just because nobody will criticize you? No, but it's not a reason to go try to make it harder than it is either. And Lawrence, as I've said, checks all the boxes. He's mobile, big arm, big game experience, multiple years as a starter. I mean, what box does Tre Justin Fields check that Trevor Lawrence doesn't? There isn't one. Trevor Lawrence won a national title. Justin Fields did not. 
Trevor Lawrence doesn't have epilepsy issues. Justin Fields does. Okay, so there's no reason for Urban to give people a reason to question him. That'll be looked at as, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding me. And if Justin Fields so much as underachieves a slight bit less than Trevor Lawrence, then it's like, you picked a dude who never even played for you. You picked who your buddy Ryan Day told you to pick. Unnecessary risk for Urban. You don't need to put that. By the way, you put enormous pressure on Justin Fields, which why do that? Pick Trevor Lawrence, be done with it. Don't make it harder than it is. Likewise, don't make it harder than it is when it comes to getting an attorney. I tell you all the time, Willis Spangler Starling. Willis Spangler Starling, that's the attorney firm. That's the one you need. That's the one who will do a great job for you. Will's estate planning, personal injury, uh, employment law, probate. They do it all. They're great. They do some free consultations. They take cases, uh, uh, certain kinds of cases on contingency. They work with you. They prioritize your case because they understand that you are in waters that are uncomfortable to swim in when you're in the legal system. Whether you're the defendant, whether you're the person pressing the action, it's uncomfortable. It is something that you need someone to shepherd you through, and they'll do that. They never lost sight of the fact that they're comfortable in court. Their clients aren't, so they make you comfortable, and you'll be represented with the highest integrity and character. Willis, Spangler, Starling, Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. Love them. They are the official attorney firm of the Bruce Hooley Show on 98.9 The Answer, and they are the official attorney firm of Bruce Hooley. I don't make a move about anything legally without checking with Willis Spangler Starling. Online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Okay, I wanted to share with you guys, because many of you are dads. Well, wait, before I do that, I want to do something that I have not done in well over a year. I want to talk (laughs) NBA basketball. If only because, while I have completely changed my view of LeBron James because he stokes racial hatred and fails as a leader and fails as an influencer, I have not lost my uh, similar disdain for the Golden State Warriors, and I'm presuming many of you have not either from those Cavs-Warriors finals. You may not have seen this. Last night, the Golden State Warriors against the Dallas Mavericks gave up a 28 to nothing run. The Mavericks scored at Golden State 28 consecutive points. 28! The Warriors were stuck on 12 points from like the 8.50 mark of the first quarter until a minute into the second quarter. It's glorious to read about that and to see them go 0 for 18 from the field. 0 for 18 from the field, including 0 for 9 from 3, and they never got to the foul line once in nine-plus minutes. Yo, drive the ball to the basket if you can't make a shot. Hilarious. Hilarious. And people are snarking Steve Kerr. Oh, he can't coach if he doesn't have Clay and Steph and Durant. Well, he had Steph last night, and they still got blown out by the Dallas Mavericks. So there's a little NBA for you. But now we will go back to completely ignoring the woke NBA. All right, dads. Husbands, even moms, and wives, and marriages, spouses, brothers, sisters. Okay. Criticism in our society has fallen out of vogue among leaders. I'm guilty of this as a dad. I lavish my daughters with praise, 
And I try to kindly encourage them, but I will, uh, um, in, in areas where they struggle, but I will admit that I can't really say I criticize them. Now, criticism has a bad name, but criticism is productive. And a friend of mine, shout out to Scott in Houston, tweeted today a story, a, a blog, a column, whatever, called The Tragic Consequences of Living Without Criticism. Uh, the gentleman who wrote this is David Prince. Now, he's a pastor, but this has uh, veracity, this has usefulness, even if you don't want to uh, look at it through a faith prism. So I, it, it is written somewhat through a faith prism, but it is also... Um, not the faith portion of this podcast today, because I have something else for you today. But I did want to share this with you, because a lot of you have sons or daughters who are playing sports. You have sons or daughters who are in choir. You have sons or daughters who are doing something extracurricular, or even if they're academic studies. Uh, It's, you know, something they're striving to get better at, hopefully. Uh, And maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're a business owner, and you're trying to coax a bit more out of your employees. I thought this would have utility in all of those environments, and I wanted to share it with you. And I will just read uh, some of what David Prince wrote. He says, what do we lose when people quit being honest with one another? Quite frankly, we lose a lot. We lose motivation to improve. We lose objective standards by which to measure excellence and to distinguish work that is good from work that is bad. We lose integrity because truth gets replaced by an all-out effort to preserve self-esteem. Oh, so true. What we do is we end up lying to one another. David Prince writes, Whenever I'm critiqued constructively, the emotional turmoil, which nobody likes criticism, eventually gives way to determination to improve. It might take a night's sleep on it, but a new perspective usually sets in, and I discover a God-given drive to get better. That's not just me. We're created with that drive. And then he tells a story about his 11-year-old travel baseball team. He says, I recently tried something with my 11-year-old travel baseball team. As the other coaches led drills, I devoted a whole practice to meeting with each player one-on-one. My goal was to be completely honest with each player on how they needed to improve. I began by noting each player's strengths but I did not sugarcoat my criticisms. I was as honest as I could possibly be about attitudes that needed to improve, skills that needed refinement, and effort deficiencies that I observed. So he touched on attitude, skills, and effort. What was the result? Team-wide improvement. We won the next two tournaments. In fact, we haven't lost a game since. Now, that won't last. We will lose But I've seen these 11-year-olds respond to honest criticism by striving collectively to get better. Our world needs more of that. Amen to that, brother. It does need more of that. And I thought that was well-written, and I wanted to share it with you here on the podcast. I like to share things that I think are strengthening, things that enlarge our understanding, and things that uh, increase our capacity, which is we all have an ability to do more. And so that is uh, my effort today to help you uh, enlarge your capacity and become better leaders. And a leader, you say, well, I don't own a company. I don't coach a team. If you have influence over one person, you're a leader. You're a leader. One person. You're leading that person. You're setting an example for that person. You're charting a course. You're casting a vision. You have influence over one person. You are a leader. Now, final promo code of the day is Bruce. 
for my friends at CBD Health Collection. They've been loyal sponsors of the Bruce Woolley Show on 98.9 The Answer. I cannot thank Rick and Ashley enough uh, for that. Um, and that relationship is coming to an end as they invest their marketing dollars in something else. But I continue to advocate for them here because I believe their product is great. And it helps me get rid of my nagging pain. It's not going to fix a broken leg. It's not going to heal a high ankle sprain. I wish it could. My daughter would be back out on the soccer field. But does it take the edge off my back pain, my elbow pain, my thumb pain? Yeah, it does and allows me to function. So inflammation, arthritis, joint pain, CBD health collection. Many different ways to deliver that CBD to your body. You can take it in pill form, gummies, tincture under the tongue, warming salve right on the spot, freeze gel right on the spot. It absorbs into the skin, offers almost immediate relief for, I would say, at least three to five hours. I've found it's good for about five hours, so it'll help me get through a round of golf if I have a little uh, something uh, as I hopefully get to play golf this spring uh, with my schedule. So cbdhealthcollection.com. Use the promo code Bruce and you will get relief. Great product, and they're very safe. It's very safe medically for you to take it. No, you're not going to test positive for any banned substances with CBD Health Collection products. Okay, some of you know, perhaps many of you know, that I do a radio show on 98.9 The Answer in Columbus, uh, 5 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. It's a news talk format. It's a Salem Media Network station. Salem is a Christian company. They're a conservative company, so uh, my values, my view, my prism on life through the lens of my faith meshes with their values. So I have an important platform, I think, not because I think I'm important, but because I think the I have the opportunity to talk about things that are not sports related. Sports has its place. It's great. It's entertaining. It can be uplifting. But uh, I've done it and I'm ready for the challenge of doing something else. And I'm I feel a call on my heart to hopefully help us process truth, view current events, and the uh, viewpoint of the world now through a faith prism. I'm all about helping people come to faith in Christ so that they can know the peace, the joy, the purpose that I have gained in my life. It's a long journey sometimes for people, decades. But it's nevertheless the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Are you going to view him as he is, the Savior of the world, free gift of salvation by claiming his forgiveness uh, at the cross, rising to new life as he rose to new life from the grave, which means being, quote-unquote, born again, which means you lay your old stuff aside your old habits, attitudes, language, thoughts, desires, and live the way God tells you, embrace God's objective truth? Or do you continue to decide that, no, I'm the God of my life. I'll decide what's right, what's wrong. I might borrow a few things from the gospel of Christ. I think it's wrong to murder somebody, but yeah, lying, cheating, stealing. Uh, you know, I, I don't care what the Bible says about morality. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says about this. I'm going to pick and choose. If you're in that situation, you have established yourself as the God of your life. You are your own idol. And God says he's not going to put up with that. He's a jealous God. So you will pay <laughs> an enormous toll for that, and you will regret it uh, throughout an eternity in torment. So my passion is bringing people to Christ. 
And I think I have been, don't take this the wrong way, I think I've been gifted with an ability to speak to current events through a faith prism and use some of my other um, hopeful language gifts and um, comparative gifts to hopefully shed truth in a way that people haven't seen before. So now, this is where we're going on the faith portion of the podcast today. So I'm really troubled by where we are in our country. I love our country. My father fought for our country. I love our country. And the reason I love our country is not because it's like, you know, it's because I think God blessed our country. I think we're the only country in the world. We're the hope of the world coming to Christ. Our country is that hope. Our freedom, our liberty, our uh, mass media, you know, all the things we have is a, are, are things that I believe God has given us as a way to spread his gospel throughout the world. We have the money to evangelize the world. We, you know, so that's why I love our country. And I also love the values of our country, that everyone has, everyone's entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm pro-life because I believe everyone's entitled to life. Everyone's entitled to liberty. Okay, pursuit of happiness. Pursuit, not the guarantee, the pursuit. Okay, so in my radio show, I realized that I tend to present one viewpoint and that there is a viewpoint out there that I strenuously disagree with the critical race theory. Cops are bad. America sucks. You know, I, I just, I vehemently disagree with that viewpoint, but if I'm going to help speak to what I think is the error, what I think God has shown me is the error in our society, I need to hear directly from people who don't think like me, didn't grow up like me, how they got to where they are in their belief system. Okay. So I've had some phone calls with some uh, guys who pastor churches, um, which the predominant number of people who attend are, are black. I could have said right there that I talked to some pastors who pastor black churches. What's a black church? <laughs> What's a white church? Like we all worship the same God. We all worship the same savior. I am going to try to divorce from my language things that categorize us by black and white. So I've done some reading about races, and I found out that races came from Darwin. Why are Christian people, Bruce Hooley and others, categorizing people by race when an evolutionist heretic came up with race? Ethnicities, there are many hundreds probably of white ethnicities and quote unquote black ethnicities. So I had a guest on the show yesterday. Her name's Juanita Brent. She represents Cleveland's 12th house district in the general assembly of the state of Ohio. She wrote an editorial for the Columbus dispatch that I was like, okay, here's a lady who doesn't agree with anything I think. And I don't agree with very much. If anything, she thinks get her on the show, Bruce, and let's have a conversation. And, you know, I started out thinking, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win Juanita Brent to my side. <laughs> How foolish. As I got her on, and as I prayed about that interview before it took place, I thought about, just have a conversation. Just have a conversation and see where the conversation goes. Don't have talking points. Don't have things you want to say. Listen. Listen and respond. Be kind. So she said a lot of things that, I could definitely have made the conversation argumentative about. She said a lot of things I disagreed with. But that's okay. 
I treated her, I hope, with respect. I asked her if I treated her with respect. She said yes. I told her that I really didn't agree with much she said, and I'm very aware she probably doesn't agree with much that I said. But So what was the point of having her on the show? Well, I didn't know ahead of time. But afterward, what I realized was the point of having her on the show was to demonstrate how wide the chasm is between what many of us believe and what many others believe. That's the problem. What's the solution? How do we bridge that? I don't know. But I think the conversations we have are productive to hopefully finding a way through that. So I was pondering this morning as I picked up my Bible, Lord, help me to see the differences we have between black and white, conservative and Democrat. Help me to see them in a different way that I can talk about so we can want to engage via the gospel, because that is truth. And I think that truth is the only answer we have to eradicating error. Light is the only answer we have to eradicating darkness. I believe some of the things that are going on prevalently in our society are, I firmly believe, are the work of Satan. Abortion, I think, is the work of Satan. People who defend abortion are under a misnomer planted in their minds by Satan. Um, Transgenderism, I believe, is satanic. Okay, so just let me flesh that out for a second, because here's why I can't get on board with transgenderism. I believe in a perfect sovereign God. I believe in a God whose essence is love. Everything about him is love. If I believe in a sovereign, all-powerful God, how could I believe in a God who makes mistakes, who has someone be born a biological boy who in their, in their innate being is really a girl? I can't—that's that's a fallible God. That's a God of mistakes. Why would you worship a God of mistakes? God does not make mistakes. And so that's why I can't get on board with transgenderism. But I don't hate transgender people. I see them as lost people, just the way I see myself as a lost person, someone in need of healing, someone in need of restoration. So I'm thinking this morning in my chair, I'm reading Proverbs, and I'm trying to ponder, and I thought to myself, you know, we're all the same under our skin. We all bleed the same. We all have the same characteristics, bone structure, this, that, the other. We're slightly different, though, because we're infused with our cultural influences, right? We are. And I thought, how could I, how could I illustrate that? If I were called up in front of a church, how could I illustrate that? And I thought, well, this came to me. Apples are apples, but there are different varieties of apples. For instance, I can have in one hand, I'm sorry I don't have it for visual representation, but I can have in one hand a red, delicious apple. Red, beautiful, mm, scrumptious. I could have in my other hand a yellow, delicious apple variety, golden, delicious apple. One is red, one is golden or yellow. They look totally different. But if I peel the skin off and I blindfolded you and I gave you a taste of each one, you would notice a difference in how it tasted slightly, but you would say, that's an apple and that's an apple. And that's what we are as humans. We are humans. Some have black skin, some have brown skin, some have white skin, some have, you know, other pigments of skin. But under the skin, we're all the same. Now, a nutritionist will tell you that the skin of the apple is very nutritious and very useful. And so God must have a purpose in us having different skin tones, okay? So it doesn't mean that 
but but we a perfect God would not make a skin tone that is evil, would not make a person evil because of their skin tone. So if you're a white supremacist, you're an idiot because you think black people are evil. Or if you're a BLM advocate or a critical race theory advocate and you think all white people are evil because they're white, you're an idiot. I use the term idiot purposely. I should use the term ignorant, but it's the same thing. Ignorant, what's the root word? What's the root of the word ignorant? Ignore. What are you ignoring? You are ignoring knowledge that is available to you that you choose to ignore. That makes you ignorant. That makes you an idiot. An idiot is not someone who's dumb. An idiot is someone who has the availability to have the answer and chooses not to know the answer. So if you're a white supremacist, you are ignorant and you are an idiot. And if you are BLM, I'm not saying you don't have the capacity to know. I'm not saying all white supremacists are stupid or all BLM people are stupid. No, stupid implies you don't have the ability to know. You have, everyone has the ability to know. But if you ignore the knowledge available to you, the truth, then you are ignorant and you are thus an idiot. So I don't just, I try not to just name call here. I try to explain things. So back to my example of the apples, okay? Gold, red delicious, golden delicious. Peel the skin away, looks the same, tastes virtually the same. Of course we're going to have differences as white and black people. The woman I spoke to yesterday, Juanita Brent, she, I, I presume she said she was in foster care growing up. Okay, if she was in foster care growing up, she had some kind of upheaval in her family life that I didn't have. She had unrest. I don't know if her parents died. I don't know if her parents had uh, drug issues. I don't know if they had whatever issues. But there were some issues that landed Juanita Brent in um, the foster system. I didn't have to deal with that struggle. I grew up with two parents who loved me, and I knew they loved each other, and I knew they were never going to get divorced, and I had that stability in my home. Well, the stability of my home infused me with certain values that perhaps someone who didn't grow up in a stable home environment wouldn't get. For instance, I remember vividly my father every Saturday working very, very hard in the yard to make our yard and our home look as beautiful as possible. Guess what? When I grew up, I enjoyed doing that too. That's where my love of landscaping came from. It came from my dad. It was infused into me. I didn't even like it as a kid. I'm like, man, this is stupid. I wish I could go inside and watch baseball. But I gained an appreciation for the hard work and the reward of hard work from watching my parents work hard. Maybe Juanita Brent didn't have that. Maybe other people who grew up in the inner city right now in poverty, they don't have that example. So they're going to be infused with a different view of life. I can't fathom being homeless. I can't fathom like just existing on food stamps and unemployment and stuff like that. I have too much incentive built into me. I have too much inner responsibility that I'm like, I got to raise myself up. I got to go, I got to get another job if I'm not making enough money. I got to start a podcast. I got to write, I've got to write for websites. I got to make this happen. But other people don't have that in them because they weren't exposed to that. Okay. They weren't infused with that. We have to have an understanding of the cultural influences on each other. All right, so that's so I thought when I thought about the apple thing, I thought, well, if you're going to talk about the apple today, there's this presumption that the apple was the forbidden fruit of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 or in Genesis 3. So I thought, well, you better go read about it. So I I did. I did go read about it. 
and I wanted to go back to what is truth. What did God say about the fruit that Adam and Eve were not supposed to eat? Here's exactly what he said. Satan's going to pervert it, but this is what God told Adam. This was before Eve was created. He said to Adam, Genesis 2, verses 16, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the true of the from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, so that's what he told Adam. And Adam must have related that to Eve because she wasn't there. She wasn't even made yet when God gave that order to Adam. So now we get to after, right after Eve is created and God makes Eve as a helpmate to Adam, the serpent comes into the garden. And the serpent says to Eve, did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve's answer is interesting because she clearly has gotten her information from Adam. And listen to what she tells the serpent and how it's not what God told Adam. And here's what she said. She goes, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, correct, and you must not touch it or you will die. God didn't say anything about touching it. And I'm not saying that it was okay to touch it. I'm saying Adam extrapolated he wanted to ingrain it in her mind, or he over he exaggerated what God told him, maybe to protect Eve, maybe to protect himself, maybe he misremembered. But whatever he told Eve, or whatever she invented here, she exaggerated it. She made it even more exclusive. He said we shouldn't eat it. He said we shouldn't touch it. He never said he couldn't touch it. I find that interesting, that that close to when she was told it, she's already got it twisted. And how many things in our society do we have twisted now? How many things do we twist and repurpose for our own good? So you know what happens. Eve eats of the apple. Tastes great. She gives it to Adam. He knows it's forbidden fruit. He knows. He sees what it is. He's not blindfolded. He eats it. And then they find out, uh-oh. They f- they're overcome with guilt. And then God comes into the garden and they're hiding from God because they don't want to face him. And God says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Listen to what Adam does. Adam says, the woman you put here, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So then God says, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam blames her. She blames the serpent. Neither one of them goes, yeah, you got me. I did it. Eve could have said, yeah, I knew. I was under the impression, or at least I told the serpent, we can't eat it and we can't even touch it. And I not only touched it, I ate it. And Adam Adam noticed he didn't say, yeah, you told me directly, God, don't eat from that tree or I will die. And I still couldn't resist the temptation. After the woman ate it, I'm like, okay, I'll eat it too. Blame shifting, all kinds of blame shifting going on, right? Okay, so I'm not going to leave you with just something that happened in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to flash forward to 
Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about fruit. Jesus had a lot to say about rancor and anger and uh, what's going on in our culture right now. He's talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Looking at the disciples, he said, this is instructive to all of us who are speaking truth, scriptural truth, in the wake of an anger toward God in our society that I have never seen before. We have less than 50% of Americans who are going to church. We have an, uh, uh, an amazingly high number of people who do not believe in God at all. So the hostility toward God, Satan is gaining, and the people who are striving to be obedient toward God are diminishing. doesn't mean our ability to broadcast, proclaim the kingdom, live it out, and provide a harvest doesn't mean that's diminished, but we got to do it. We got to do it. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, Luke 6, verse 20. This is meant to encourage those of you who are afraid to step out and share your faith, afraid to step out and share truth in the face of the rancor and anger we have right now. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Here's the part that applies. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. So, yeah, these pundits who go out there, and I've been one of them at times, you go out there, you rail against this, that, the other in politics and culture and entertainment and sports, and people hate you. Well, you're not blessed just because people hate you. You are blessed when men hate you, exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of God. So if you're standing for God's truth and they hate you, what does Jesus say to do? Very next verse, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. When's the last time you did that? Probably when Ohio State did something well. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, or that is how their fathers treated the prophets. So Jesus is encouraging you to speak truth. Cancel culture come for you? Yeah, probably. Do you know how you're going to handle the criticism, the fallout of that? No. Does God know? <laughs> yeah. He's the sovereign God of the universe. He promises to take care of the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. You think he's going to leave you hanging? He's not going to leave you hanging. In the final portion of Luke chapter 6, verse 43, Jesus talks about fruit, which I think is applicable because I've tried to demonstrate with my examples of the red delicious apple and the golden delicious apple being the same under the skin. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. What do you think's in your heart? Do inventory. Are you harboring racial hatred, division, unrest? I have in the past. I've generalized. I've 
um, assumed the worst. Look past the color of the apple. Realize that beneath the color of the apple is an apple. Beneath whatever color you are, you're also an apple. Infused with some different flavor because of your culture? Yeah, no doubt. You need to understand that. You need to be understanding of that in others. And if so, wouldn't the temperature on our conversations come down? Wouldn't the effort to understand each other go up? Might we all be good fruit out of the good stored in our hearts? Or do we continue to want to be eating bitterness because of the evil we have stored up in our hearts? That's what I have for you today in the faith portion of the podcast. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you watching. If you're watching this on my YouTube channel, thank you. Let other people know. Subscribe. I'm trying to grow this because... I feel like God wants me to try to grow it. I think he's put these things on my heart so that I can hopefully help others and help people understand. I'll uh, share some of this today on my radio show. And um, I'm grateful for your listening ear. I'd love to hear more from people who listen to the podcast. Send me a, an email with your review. Uh, or review it on iTunes would be great. Uh, the email address is wetacklelife at gmail.com. Remember your promo codes, we tackle life for your 15% off at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Bruce is your promo code at CBD Health Collection, AUIinfo.com. It'll help all you business owners. And Willis Spangler Starling, a great attorney firm, highest integrity, character, and expertise. Until Friday, when we know for sure whether Justin Fields fell in the draft or not, have a blessed day.